Okay, practice in the fam jam. This, this could possibly be the most entertaining or the weirdest episode we have so far. Um, I have the delight of bringing on Shannon Kuhn, one of my dearest, most favorite people on the planet, planet Earth. She's just, if you're listening on the podcast, you need to pause, pull your car over, pull up the YouTube and gaze at her beautiful face. She's majesty. She's, she's poise. She's grace. And she's brilliance. And she and I are going to talk about Hridaya, which this is very appropriate because we love each other so much. Kridaya is the true heart, and um, I'm going to let Shannon share all the different titles she holds, but she is a faculty member on our 300-hour staff specific to anatomy, so she has the actual credentials to discuss the anatomy of the heart, um, and then I'm going to sprinkle made-up shit in between, so that's how it's going to go. So Shannon, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Shannon, the other Shannon. I teach at uh, IUPUI, I teach human anatomy, physiology, and biology of women, which is hands down my favorite class. I am also a chiropractor. Um, I practice out of my home here, but I was able to live in Australia for a year and a half, practiced in St. Louis, um, and then I was able to meet Shannon, and it was amazing. And I love her dearly and she brings me away from the academic world because sometimes I get caught in this black and white, this is it, this is textbook and I should not do that. So Shannon always brings me back down to what reality really is. <laughs> well, I think before we share or you share, me listen, uh, what the heart is, the function of the heart, and we're really gonna talk about the actual science of that. And then again, I'm gonna sprinkle in some bullshit. Um, <clears throat> I think it's, it's valuable to share that we're going to share to the limit of our knowledge, Correct. my made up knowledge, your real knowledge. And then we kind of talked before this that, you know, sometimes that's how theories are created. It's just like expanding on something. Maybe we don't know. We haven't proven yet. I think what's really great about the two of us working together is we're always very honest about like, here's what I do know. Here's me speculating. Um, and when we're talking about something like the heart, which there, there's obviously science to the heart, but there's also this mythological, philosophical aspect that, like, I don't know that we could ever prove, you know, but we can take the science and we can pair that up with a lot of the lore around the heart and see how, how the heart has become this, um, this symbol for so many things. And, you know, that might not line up as scientifically as what you're going to share, but I think it, uh, it speaks to the human experience that it's, it is a conflict of interest in terms of like the facts of being human and then the experience of being human. And sometimes mm -hmm. they line up, sometimes they're in stark contrast. So, so tell us a little bit about the anatomy of the heart. I will. So the heart itself <laughs> has four different chambers and we don't really need to go into the names of them specifically, but what the heart's trying to do is bring back deoxygenated blood. So your tissues use up this oxygen and then you have this deoxygenated blood that comes back to the heart. Okay. And as it goes through the heart, it's basically going to be pumping. It's working as a pumping system. Okay. So we're going to enter the right side of the heart and eventually pump out of the heart 
into the lungs where it then picks up oxygen. So that oxygen that you breathe in, you're going to pick it back up. You'll bring it back to the left side of the heart. And then eventually it's going to pump it back out to the rest of the systemic system to provide your tissues again with oxygen. And this whole cycle is constantly repeating itself. Can we live without the heart? <laughs> Actually, yes, you can. <laughs> I don't know how for how long, but there is a um, it's a thing called one of the ways would be like ECMO and what they'll do in hospitals for whatever reason. If the heart's not working properly or the lungs, they'll kind of divert the blood and they'll pull the blood out, take it into a machine that oxygenates this blood and then brings it back to the heart. And so it's kind of diverging that. Hmm. What do you, if you were to rank the heart in, in terms of like importance of organs, <laughs> one being most important, let's just go to like three or four, four being less important, what, where would the heart fall on that? I'm going to go one or two. That's based off my uh -huh. like initial, that's how I feel initially. And I think I should go with that. What brain and spinal cord being another very important one. Okay, so interesting because the brain, for from the yogic perspective, the brain is what's going to house two critical things. One are consciousness mm -hmm. and the other ego. Um, so <clears throat> our consciousness is ultimately what we're trying to access, our higher awareness, but our ego tends to take that over. And then the spinal cord is specifically in like asana and physical yoga that's what we're the most interested in because that um you know six movements of the spine or we could argue many more many less but the movements of the spine are what keep the spine healthy and so that's like you know the the agency of the human body that's so we've got the mind and the agency of the mind we've got the spinal cord which is the agency of the physical movement of the body and then you've got the heart which so you're saying it's, you know, main, main interest is to regulate oxygen, right? To go in and out and to send blood to the body. So what is the, what, what does that do? Like, what, what do you think the heart is the motor for? Like, why do we have the heart? So it can pump the blood, which carries the oxygen and also nutrients throughout the body too. Okay. So it's going to be pumping just the blood. It's also doing um, within the blood, the white blood cells, which is part of our immune system. Okay. So it's constantly just transferring things and it, it's essentially a pump. It's beautiful and it's great, but it really is just a pump, pumping the blood um, deoxygenated and then picking up oxygen and then carrying the oxygenated blood. It's very important, but it's a pump. So how, so we talked a little bit about the, the heart is the first organ, yes or no, that develops in the embryo. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Which I remember all, all of our ultrasounds that is, man, that's like a crippling moment. If you, if you ever go to, if you're ever pregnant and you go and, you know, they're doing the ultrasound, which I've had many, um, when we lost our first, when we had our first miscarriage, there was something, you know, to your point, it's a, it's a pump, right? Mm -hmm. And you're looking on this screen and, 
even now as I'm talking about, I can feel it in my heart, which is so mm-hmm. wild. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking up at the screen. I know I'm pregnant and there's this little bean in there and there's no like flicker. The pump isn't pumping and the, um, the ultrasound tech kind of looks at me and then she looks at the screen and she takes a step back and, you know, we could comment on a lot of things about how women's health is not always very empathic, but she was, she did her best. And, uh, she said, you know, I don't see a heartbeat. Let me go get the doctor. And, um, and I think that holds such significance because it is a pump and there's so much more. So can you speak to like the electrical impulses or you had talked a little bit about you've seen the research of like two embryonic cells, maybe heart cells. Can you talk about like the rhythm that they create or the connection they create? Yeah. I, one of the crazy things is it's auto rhythmic. So it sets its own pace. So nerve impulses travel around our body and they send little messages, messengers telling what to do, but the heart doesn't need that. It sets its own heart rate. Okay. So there's a sinoatrial node or SA node, which is known as the pacemaker of the heart. And through these, um, electric activity, which is what you'd see on an EKG showing the PQRS wave. So that's like electrical signals that are being sent. So it sets that itself. And then that um, depolarization wave is going to be sent down to another node known as the AV node. Um, And then that's going to be sent down through the ventricles, which causes those to contract. So you've got the beginning with the SA node that fires on its own, which causes a wave of depolarization, which is actually what makes the atrial contract, which is then gonna pump the blood to the ventricles. And then that wave of depolarization is gonna carry down, eventually causing those ventricles to contract. And it's really fascinating because it'll have a pause and it's an important pause because it needs to be able to finish that atrial contraction to get all of the blood to the ventricles before then the ventricles contract. And that's like the sciencey part of it, which the terminology for my students is important, but this, I like to see big picture. So what's going on here? There's these impulses that are telling the heart to beat and they also built in these perfect little pauses so that the blood can completely exit the atrium, fill up the ventricles, and then those are gonna pump and the right ventricle is going to go to the lungs and the left ventricle is going to go to the systemic circulation. And I think it's important for uh, my students and people to know that although when you follow the pathway of the blood, it looks like we're going one direction, but these are all pumping at the same time. So both atria contract at the same time, both ventricles will then contract at the same time. It's just blood's going to the lungs from the right ventricle and blood's going to the systemic circulation from the left. Damn. She busy. <laughs> she, he, they, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe my heart has a different pronoun than my own. It's Is your heart beating fast now? No, now it's really slow. It's really not. I don't know. Something's very soothing to me about hearing you speak about science. I'm not sure. Oh, honestly, at one point I looked at your face and you did just look very soothed. You love it. This is what you need to be doing, Shannon. <laughs> I do. I, I think the body is just, you know, side tangent, but I was an atheist for a while and yoga is really what, um, brought me back to whatever bastardized version of religion I carry currently. And it's because of the body, like the body is, I mean, the fact that all of that is going on at the heart at the same time, the, the pauses are really fascinating to me because one of my best music teachers said the greatest pieces of composed music 
are because of the rest. Like it's mm -hmm. because of cultivated pauses or silences that actually make the music what it is. It's not, it's not always a selection of notes. It's how we break in between. So I think that's really interesting that you brought that up because I think that the pause of the heart, the, you know, the holding of the heart, the moment the, the heart wasn't beating for my non-existent child was a big moment for me mm -hmm. to then like appreciate the beating of the heart to the two children I have now. So I, I think that is, you know, again, like this weird tangle of science and feeling that is significant that it, mm -hmm. I'm sure there are things in the body that probably run all the time, but there's mm -hmm. a significance that our heart has like a pause mm -hmm. built in. And I like to, and I make sure that I actually throw this on my exams is like, yes, it's autorhythmic and it sets its own heart rate, but that doesn't mean that we can't use biofeedback to help change the heart rate a little bit by doing things, i.e. yoga, meditation, et cetera, can help to calm and slow that heart rate down. So as a, maybe a little bit more from your um, chiropractic world, yes, or maybe from your academic world, what do you see are the main problems with people's hearts? And, uh, or maybe something that lay people like myself don't know about our hearts in relationship to our health that is worth considering or learning more about? Uh, I just finished reading the book called State of the Heart. And he talks a lot about inflammation, one being an issue with the heart and also blood pressure. So we just changed like in 2017, I think the guidelines for blood pressure being like um, normal elevated stage one, stage two, and they're actually lowering the threshold to where um, what used to be in the 140 was I think um, stage one and now it's moving to that, or I'm sorry, was stage two and now that's moving to a stage one perspective. So we're lowering that threshold because they're acknowledging how high blood pressure is really affecting people. So you imagine you're pumping so hard, you're actually causing micro injuries to these blood vessel um, tissue layers. And it's that micro injury that causes uh, inflammation and will carry on. And eventually through this complex process, will build up these plaques will either cause, you know, stenosis or hardening of the vessels. And that within itself is going to further perpetuate the high blood pressure, further perpetuate the inflammation. And then now we're making the heart work harder. So when the heart works harder, just as if you go to the gym and you work out, you're going to get increased muscle, but we don't really need this heart to increase its muscle too much because specifically in the ventricles, as we start to make that heart work harder than it should, because it's pushing blood against um, either blood vessels that are narrow or stiff, et cetera, you're going to increase that um, ventricle tissue. And then what's that going to do is decrease the size of the ventricle. And now there's not as much blood that's able to go into the ventricles, nor is there an, as much blood as it used to be being able to be pushed out from the ventricles. So you get yourself into um, situations where you don't have as much oxygen supply or blood supply to the tissues. I kind of think so, I went on a tangent when I started talking about that. <laughs> no, that I think that's very helpful. So what, um, you know, the 
the general things I think people like me, lay people know are like eating a healthy diet, which that's its own bag of, bag yeah, of worms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, eating a healthy diet, exercising. You know, I've also heard, because I have heart disease in my family on both sides, um, I've also heard there's nothing you can do about it. Like if you have, if you have high blood pressure, like you just have to be on medication um, and you can't eat your way into a healthy heart. You can't exercise your way into a healthy heart. Um, what is your opinion on that? Or what would be your general guideline to people to keep their blood pressure? What's normal, by the way, what would be a normal range of blood pressure? And like, so one twenty. So blood pressure itself, like when you hear someone say one twenty over eighty, what that really means is when that's the pressure. The higher number is the pressure exerted when the heart's contracting, versus the lower number is there still being a pressure exerted when the heart's relaxing. So one twenty to one to one twenty over eighty is that quote unquote normal. But they're really pushing the threshold, and I just pulled it up just to make sure. So elevated now is um, so this is considered elevated one twenty to one twenty nine, and a mm -hmm. diastolic less than eighty. So yeah, 128 over 80 is fine, but we're lowering that threshold. So it's making it harder for people to not fall into a category that is considered hypertension. So mm -hmm. I can't speak necessarily to the uh, medical drugs because it really depends. I like the heart. So I listen to some podcasts about it sometimes. And there's a lot of doctors that will say you'll, depending on if you have other risk factors, diabetes, um, it runs in your family, et cetera, putting these people on statins early. Now, my opinion of that, I mean, I don't know. You look at the things of non-modifiable versus modifiable age, um, uh, genetic history versus the modifiable things. When I have women who t come in and tell me they're osteoporotic and they're thinking, one, it's a big word to them. They don't know what the hell that means. They would never had it explained to them. And they think that that's it. That's a death sentence. And I will tell them there's so many things that you can do. There's a ton of muscles that surround your joints that it, you can help to strengthen them, to take the pressure off. You can do things to help yourself. So I don't know if that's just my personality or if I'm wrong when I say this, but I wouldn't ever just say that, Oh, I've got bad genes. That's it. See you later. Again, that's, that's probably, that's more of an opinion base. I mean, you know, most of what I say is opinion based. <laughs> I think, you know, what you said about the osteoporosis though, is my experience with my experience of going back to pregnancy because it's the only time I've ever been hospitalized is, um, you know, like when you go in, when you go in to deliver, they start doing, uh, they start taking your blood pressure and um, checking for fetal distress and all that. And they'll call out to the patient, your, your blood pressure, right? And like yeah. where you're at. I don't, I, you know, like I, and I'm a pretty educated person. I would think. You very I have much no so. clue what they were saying to me and what it meant, you know, like, mm -hmm. Um, cause when lay one of my children, when they were born, who knows, um, I was under more stress and, mm. you know, they were, they were calling out my blood pressure and then saying like, are you experiencing any more stress than normal? I'm like, I'm having a fucking baby. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. very stressed at what's about to occur. But you know, like, I think a lot of people don't 
actually know when somebody reads you your blood pressure, they don't know what that means. Correct. And it's usually said in a very matter of fact way, like, well, you're 120 over 80 or whatever. And you're like, mm-hmm. But <laughs> you don't really know. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? And, and on a day-to-day basis, I guess what I'm hearing and in relationship to yoga is that it's just like anything else. It's a constant management because your, your heart is, you're saying like, we want to, we want to work that muscle, right? Mm-hmm. We want to work that muscle, but we want to work that muscle without extreme resistance, like the narrowing of what would be narrowing? The arteries, the valves just depends on where you're building up that plaque. We'll say. Yeah. And I think like that, that in itself, so we're talking about true heart and the heart in general, I think is something that we just kind of, if, if you don't have, if you have the privilege of not having heart disease or you have the privilege mm-hmm. of having like baseline health, I don't think you often consider like what you're putting your heart through. Mm-hmm. And I think we could partly, you know, people die of a broken heart all the time. But if you think mm-hmm. about the kind of stress that puts on somebody or the kind of tension that their physical and emotional heart is working through, that maybe they just can't, there's an impasse, just like, you know, the narrowing of an artery. I think there's, there's a lot to the emotional aspects of the heart, because even when we talk about the heart, we talk about things of the heart, you will feel it in your heart. There's that like constriction and release, which mm-hmm. again, it's a pump. Um, I think it's just very interesting. I don't know that I'm going to arrive at a conclusion, but I do think it's very interesting how the heart functions, how little most people know about their hearts Mm -hmm. and how important it is. You know, it's this metronome that's always going, we talk about the breath a lot in that way too, that, you know, you, we just take it for granted, but I think there are things that, um, just like breath practices, like we, we need to cultivate our breath in order to, to improve it and be able to manage it better. I think there mm-hmm. are things you can do from a heart perspective. Me as a yoga teacher, I know like helping people reduce stress by taking deeper breaths, by taking rest, by exercising within reason, you know, by eating healthy again, whole nother thing. But are there any other things you wish like, or that you share with your students about heart health? and managing your heart that you wish everybody knew? Yeah, I make sure the last uh, chapter in my women's biology class is women in stress. And we just talk a lot about stress and the impact that that can have on the heart. So heart disease is the number one killer. And it's not that heart disease wasn't occurring or we didn't have, um, plaque building up years and years ago. It's just years and years ago, we were dying of other things because we didn't have the technology we have now. We were dying of infections, et cetera. So now we're living longer. So this heart disease is kind of um, a lifelong process. So women's are a little bit more protected because of estrogen, et cetera. But I think it's important to, I stress stress. Like being stressed, I think um, specifically work is one of the highest ones that damages your heart. And it's a way that you actually can control if you do things because you and I shouldn't have talked about calming, you know, parasympathetic and really engaging that. And if we don't shake through this sympathetic cycle, we're, so that's how you can affect the heart is calming it down. 
food again is a whole nother thing, but I really harp on stress and what that can do to the heart because then you're putting yourself in a constantly heightened stage. If you're in sympathetic, that sympathetic kicked on is going to increase your heart rate. Well, if you're constantly living in this fight or flight stage, you're constantly making that heart beat faster, putting more damage to the blood vessels in the heart, causing those micro injuries, causing that inflammation, causing that buildup. And it's just this vicious cycle. So maybe I'm biased, but I think more time needs to be spent on focusing on stressors in life and how you can manage those stressors. This is a hypothetical. Is there any, is there any, um, positive to, cause like stress in itself is a necessary function of the body, right? Like Correct. Mm -hmm. Stress response on, on purpose. It's a useful mechanism. Are there, are there healthy stressors? Like, are there things that help build the heart in a healthy stress? I'm, I'm assuming exercise is one of those. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say, yeah. Exercise. It's the, the, I think the thing is we stay in this heightened stage. And again, you, I've talked about this in anatomy is we see a stress, we have a stressful situation, which ignites our whole stress response and we kick on the sympathetic drive. And then we never complete that cycle because then the next thing we do, we have another stress, whether that's like work related or relationship related, or we're on to the next thing, or we're constantly doing that. And then maybe we're feeding ourselves with things that aren't going to help the situation. So we're never completing the cycle or we're not doing it as much. So both the, you nailed it, stress is a good thing. Thing. sympathetic nervous system is a good thing and so is the parasympathetic nervous system it's just when we have an imbalance of these two systems that we run into problems and we don't make it a priority to kick on our parasympathetic nervous system does that kind of answer your question yeah and i, I think it brings it full circle because again I, I don't i don't know enough to draw strong conclusions i think we could probably read joseph campbell and and arrive at a lot of like mythological philosophical reasons for why the heart is so emblematic of love and of deep feeling you know mm -hmm. there's so much there that i don't have enough about but i can say that right now speaking talking to you talking to dr devin banks and a few others and just reading a lot I think 2020 has brought an overwhelming sense of stress and grief mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as we go into the winter. I guess my, what I'm hoping for people and my assumption on how to help the heart and how to move back into balance with the heart is for us to allow ourselves to complete that stress cycle. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. Today has been for me a bad mental health day and I've just been tired and normal, you know, pre-COVID me would push through. Mm -hmm. And this, this really has helped me awaken to maybe what I need to do is rest. Maybe right. what I need to do is complete the stress cycle instead of trying to push through, instead of adding another scar and another layer to my stress portfolio, mm -hmm. if you will, maybe what I need to do is watch movies and just sit down. Um, and I think as we move into winter and I'm getting increasingly more nervous about people's metaphorical state of heart, metaphorical yeah, yeah. state of mind, that maybe, um, yeah, like just getting, just giving ourselves permission to complete the stress cycle, to do things that are healthy for our hearts, to do mm -hmm. things that are healthy for our minds is ultimately going to bring us back 
maybe closer to balance. I don't know that any of us can be balanced right now, but yeah, yeah. Balance um, is what I hope for. Well, one of the things that I think, and I'm sure they've been doing this research longer than I've known about it, but I find it super fascinating, specifically in women, as that's what I teach. So I kind of emphasize um, my knowledge on that. But they found women that um, have reported feeling lonely or disconnected are 50, have a 50% increased risk of heart disease. That's just reporting loneliness and feeling of not being socially connected. So that's where I, in my classes, probably steer away from the academic world. But I think that that stuff matters. And if my students can acknowledge that, that's going to be so important for them to know. I kind of wish I knew that at a younger age where they're 18, 19, 20. Yeah, that's insane. And specifically with COVID right now, that's, you know, that's some of the problem with quarantine and you, you're not having that social engagement. You're not having that community that you used to. And if you don't have a roommate or you're not in a safe environment, I mean, that's a whole other tangent that I don't know we planned on going, but that comes back to the heart that is perceived as stress, which is going to increase your blood pressure, which is again, I won't say it again, but what that's going to do, I'll spare you from that, Shannon. Even though I think your face, you're just like, I'll never forget the time that I placed that brain in your hand and you. (laughs) I was so, I was like, that was one of the best days of my life. You did say that. You, you might've compared it close to holding your child, but I won't ever tell Langston and Magsies. I'll only show this video to them when they are being a-holes to me. I'll just, I'll just forward, fast forward to this and just be like, by the way. I held a brain and it was equitable to your birth. Same feeling. Don't get so cocky. So I'll be playing it for them tomorrow. Um, I so appreciate you and your genius. Um, And I, yeah, I think this, so I've gone down the rabbit hole of lots of, um, Lots of documentaries over the last six months. And what I conclude from those is that it is uh, a third of people's actual knowledge and then two thirds of people's theory and opinions uh, Mm -hmm. passed as 100% fact. So what I appreciate about you and what I appreciate about this conversation is that you always share what you know and then you don't cross the boundary of what you don't know. And um, I I was sharing with you before this, like I think also I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think a lot of podcasts are so well staged Mm -hmm. that you feel like you're getting the full picture and really you're just getting a sliver. So I appreciate that this conversation had reality of like, this is what the heart is. This is what it does. And also like that there's so much that we will never know about the heart. There's a reason we can't study it all. Mm-hmm. There, there's mystery in life that's intentional, I think. Right. And that's what make, keeps it interesting. And if we knew it all, then why would we keep going? Yeah. So, um, so I saw- and what we now know now could change. I mean, when they first found out about high blood pressure, they thought it was a good thing. It should be untouched. It's a, we need to have that response. So that's obviously completely changed. So I keep that in mind. And what we know to be true now may not be what we know to be true 10, 20, 30 hundred years from now. Mm, But I love that you pull you just when I'm starting to step into the complete dark side of academic and textbook, you suck me back in and I love it because I need to exist in this world. Um, Yeah. 
Well, we hope to, this is a plug for something that's not completely out yet, but um, Shannon does help with our 300 hour and our anatomy and we hope to be doing something with that. Or I think it would be cool to do a layperson's anatomy class, something that yep. you know, people who maybe you took it in college or you never took it in college, but learning like basic anatomy. I, again, that has been a that has been an access point to me for spirituality in the weirdest mm -hmm. way because the body, the heart, I mean, they're just fantastic. And there's as much science as you can give me. And as much as I love and appreciate that, there's also no explanation for why they are so intricate and, and how they come to be, you know, I think, I think that's what's so beautiful about studying anatomy is that you find this entire labyrinth of of unending possibilities and questions, mm -hmm. even, even through like very strong science. I think we should put it out into the world too, that eventually we can just travel around and co-teach yoga slash anatomy all over the world. Right, it's, it's there. We'll bring our children and our wife and husband. And if you have any questions about that, don't ask us. We're in a polyamorous, relationship you don't you're not allowed to ask questions about that oh boy giving our children a complex <laughs> oh boy <laughs> well i love you so much thanks for i love you so much i'm not gonna lie we kept this a lot more tame and less weird than we could so yeah i'm i'm impressed actually we're maturing do it over love you is there, love you there so much people to reach out to you to, um keep in touch with you by the way self like complete plug uh shannon has adjusted my back twice now oh times um have been when i didn't want to admit i needed help and uh was on kind of the last straw of um of safety and shannon completely saved me so if you need an in-home chiropractor she's a genius um, are there, yeah, are there ways you would like for people to connect with you or contact you? Yeah, Instagram or even email. So kuhn, K-U-H-N-S at I-U dot E-D-U or Instagram, but I can't say I post anything um, medically relevant or academically relevant. You post a lot of really important things to the heart based off of dogs. You're beautiful. Scaring people. And scaring people, which also our fiance. The, the scaring people is another topic of like stress. <laughs> but the thing is, I think I help them complete that cycle. Scare them, sympathetic. They scream, completes, gets it out, move on. Okay. So that's that's going to be my theory. <laughs> that is my theory. Okay. Because my dad used to do really scaries, big scaries, and. I know it's coming that you're going to scare me one day, but I don't know. I don't know how long it will take for me to forgive you. I just want to give you like a heads up. Like, okay. I, I think it might be a few minutes and it'll probably be the first time we'll ever have an argument. So just okay. prepare. Well, yeah. it won't keep me from doing it. Cause I know <laughs> as always, we'll find our way back to each other and I'll have this great memory of the time I scared you. I love you. So you are in my list. I love you. <laughs> you are on my list. Caitlin Bisco is also on my list. And oh, I hope she yeah, hears this. I don't want to for that. Actually, she's she's a good sport. She's a way better sport than I am. So she will she'll be fine. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm nervous about me. All right, I love you. Love um, you. Kelly in here. There she is. Do you have other people on this call or is it just you two? <laughs> 
Because if I were on this call, I'd been vomiting. <laughs> Obsessed. <laughs> oh my God. Well, Let's end on that. Uh, okay. Someone's <laughs> jealous, so I need to go calm her heart. 